We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. So I got to ask you this question. Have you ever had a life-changing moment in your life, a time when your world was flipped upside down? For me, it was when I got married. In fact, there's a picture of me and my wife, Christine, sitting on the platform of the church that we got married. And as we're sitting in this uh, position, I've got my head down and there's this puzzled look on my face. And this puzzled look is really the realization that my world will never be the same. I can no longer live in duality. Yes, now I am married. My wife, Christine, now supersedes every single other relationship that I have in my world, even the relationship with my mom. I love my mom, but even with my mom, Christine now supersedes any relationship that I have with her or any of my closest friends. It didn't matter. There was no longer duality. I had to pick one and I chose Christine because it's so easy to live in a state of duality where either way it goes, it's all good. Uh, If you're in school, it's easy to live in the duality of leisure and studying. If you're dating, it's easy to live in the duality of uh, being attached but not being tied down. If you're a parent, it's easy to live in the duality of keep my kids or take them back to the hospital from where they came from. <laughs> Living in duality is messy. Somebody out there is like, oh, he believes in taking back kids. No, I'm just joking, guys. That was a joke. Living in duality is messy. Because ultimately, there is no clear lines. There is no real standard. It's almost like to each his own. Whatever works for you, works for you. Whatever works for me, works for me. And as we're in this series called Red, White, and Bruise, I truly believe that our nation is in a space of brokenness. I believe our uh, nation is in a space of tension because of the duality that we've lived in. We are living in the nation of the red, white, and bruise. Our nation is strong, but our nation is also hurting. Uh, We've looked through history and can see the duality that we've lived in. Let's take it all the way back. I know I'm going to step on some toes, and I don't want to offend anybody, but you've got to lean in on this one because I believe there's some major truths in this. Uh, Let's look at the duality between pioneer and native. Uh, the duality between free and slave, black and white, and now conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat, right to life or pro-choice. This has even hit the church. Now we're, we're living in this duality of church and state. We've got black churches, white churches, Pentecostal, Baptist, charismatic, or reformed. The duality is ultimately wreaking havoc because it's bringing out the worst in all of us. See, there's some things where duality cannot exist. There's some places in our lives where duality cannot exist. And if we want to heal the nation, if we want to heal our churches, if we want to heal ourselves as individuals, if we want to heal our land, I believe we can learn a lesson from the story that we're going to jump into in Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus and his friends have gone high on a mountain, 
in another text, it tells us that he's gone up there to pray. Uh, Prior to this, Jesus has been walking with these disciples for the last few years. These are his followers. These are some of his very best friends. They've seen him feed tens of thousands of people with uh, a few fish and a few loaves of bread. They've seen him uh, bring people back to life. They've seen uh, uh, the lame healed and and those who can't see be able to uh, be see again. And, and those who can't speak, are their mouth and their tongue has been loosed to be able to have a conversation, to celebrate, and to communicate with others. They've seen some of the most incredible supernatural miracles take place, but they've also set under his wisdom, and his teaching. Think about it. I've got people in my life who speak into my life all the time. I've got mentors and coaches, pastors who speak into my life. But imagine sitting under the wisdom of Jesus, sitting under the individual who created wisdom, the epitome of wisdom. This is Jesus. Imagine sitting under his teaching. How many notes would you take? How many of us would have a voice recorder with us every single day trying to record every conversation? Because I believe that he was dripping knowledge and wisdom every single day. We can see it all through scripture. This is the individual they got to hang out with for a couple of years. Not only that is they've heard the stories. They've heard the prophecies about this coming Messiah, this anointed one who would come and bring healing to the land, the one who would restore everything that was broken. And as they are witnessing all the miracles, all the conversations, I believe that they're saying this got to be the guy. This has to be the one. In fact, there's one moment where Jesus takes his disciples and he asks them a specific question. He says, who do people say that I am? And Peter, one of the most outspoken disciples, uh, is speaking up alongside everybody else. And some are saying John the Baptist and some are saying uh, Elijah. Some people say that you are just one of the old prophets who's been reincarnated. And then Jesus asks a question that says, who do you say that I am? How many of you guys know that Jesus is not concerned about what the preacher says about him? He doesn't, he's not concerned about what your parents said about him, what your friends say about him, what your spiritual advisor says about him. Jesus is more concerned about what you say about him. I believe this is a lasting question that we've got to ask even in these days of the elections. Who do you say that Jesus is? Peter, as I was saying, the most outspoken disciple, the one that we see who speaks up the most, shows up and he says this, Jesus, you are the Christ. What he's saying is you are the anointed one. You are the one who is supposed to come from heaven. You are the one that God was sending to redeem the world. You are the hope of the world that we catch the next part of the message in verse 2 of chapter 9. After six days, after they've just had these conversations, after Jesus has asked them, who do you say that I am? It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up high on a mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Other texts say that he took them up to pray. And then something specific happens. He is transfigured. These are the individuals who have a window into Jesus like no one else. 
These are the individuals who are the closest to Jesus. This is his inner circle, and they're getting to witness the most miraculous thing that they've probably ever witnessed. Jesus, in that moment, begins to uh, uh, show the glory of who he is, the God inside of him, the God who he is. Jesus begins to transfigure in front of them. The word transfigure is where we get the root word metamorphosis. His, his countenance has changed. He looks different. He's glowing. There's a supernatural moment taking place here. And it says in verse three, it says, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. It's funny. The text says that Jesus's clothes got so bright that Clorox bleach couldn't do anything like that. And in this moment, they're witnessing something they've heard about before. See, there's an individual named Moses. There's another character in Jewish history, one who had a close relationship with God, who went up on a mountain to have a conversation with God, like Jesus was having a conversation with God. And uh, the glory of God came on him so strong that when he came down from the mountain, he was glowing that they, he had to put a veil over his face. People couldn't look at his face because he was so bright. And though Moses reflected God's glory, Jesus is, was, and always will be the glory of God. Jesus is God. He doesn't just reflect God. Jesus is God. And they got to experience Jesus' glory in this one moment. Jesus didn't look like God in this moment. He didn't remind them of God at this moment. He was God in the flesh, exhibiting himself to his followers. In verse 4, it says this, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. Remember, I just shared about Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Something supernatural takes place again. Now it's not just Jesus up on the mountain. Jesus is now having a conversation with Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah were some of the greatest icons in their faith. Moses uh, was like the epitome of, uh, of godliness, of somebody who was close to God, who just had a relationship, a close connection to God that, that, that connected them to God. Elijah was the epitome of strength and like bravado. Elijah had uh, defeated so many kings and queens and defied them by only relying on the power of God and not relying on man or military power like everybody else. Moses and Elijah were great icons, much like we would think of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. They were the epitome of wisdom and grit. Again, Moses, who had received the Ten Commandments on the top of the mountain, who had instituted the temple worship, who showed Israel and their ancestors how to connect personally with God. And Elijah, with the revolutionary heart, they revered these two prophets. These were the creme de la creme of prophets of their age. And so these individuals are now speaking to Jesus right there in live and living color, and they're witnessing this thing take place. And this is what it says in verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
Peter's like, man, it's good that we are here. I've been waiting for this moment. This is one of those once in a lifetime moments. I never thought I would experience this in my life. He is literally floored. He's got Jesus who he's been following all these years. And he's got Moses, the one that he's read about and Elijah, the ones that he's heard about. And they're all together at the same moment. And his reaction says, Lord, let us build three tents. Let us build some tents here. Uh, We're not trying to live here. He's not building a tent so that they can live there. He's building a tent because a tent was a house of worship. When the Israelites came out of slavery and and God was leading them throughout the wilderness, he said, listen, I want you to create a tent of meeting. I want you to create a tabernacle where I can be there, where my presence can be felt in this space. So the Jewish tabernacle ultimately was a place of God's dwelling place. It was a place where God's presence was there, where people came to worship, where people came to ask for forgiveness, where people came to settle differences. This was a place of, of, of celebration, of reconnection, and of repentance. When Peter says, let's build three tents, what's Peter actually saying here? Peter is saying, let's build three houses of worship. It's very interesting that in this moment that Peter has forgotten the conversation that he just had with Jesus six days ago. In this moment, Peter is so excited. He says, man, we've got Jesus, who we've been following. We've got Moses, one of the greats. We've got Elijah. Let us create three churches that we can come and worship them. Let us create three spaces where we can come and glorify them. We've got, let's create three spaces where we can come and dwell in the presence of these three individuals. What is interesting is that six days ago, Jesus asked, who do you say that? that I am. Peter said, you are the anointed one. You are the Christ. You are the hope of the world. You are the one that we've been waiting for. But isn't it interesting that even though Peter confessed Jesus, he still didn't think Jesus was enough. And that's many of us. We're living in this state where we love Jesus, we worship Jesus, but Jesus is not enough. I love Jesus, but I also need my job. I love Jesus, but I also need this girl that I'm dealing with. I love Jesus, but this political candidate is going to bring hope to this nation. I love Jesus, but my political uh, affiliation is really the truth of where I stand. And we start to live in this duality. Peter is living in a duality where he's got Jesus and Moses. He's got Jesus and Elijah. And many of us, especially in this political climate, is we've got Jesus and our political affiliation. We've got Jesus and our political candidate. It goes on in verse 6, and he says, For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Peter did not know what to say because he was terrified. Peter spoke rashly. Peter spoke out of fear. But can I challenge you with this? I really believe fear will let you know what's in your heart. 
uh, when you are afraid, you will begin to reveal what's inside of you. Uh, When you are afraid if you were sick and in the hospital and you began to panic and, and start relying on what medicine only can do and not know that you've got a God who is the author and finisher of your health, the God who is the provider of this medicine, we begin to rely specifically on just outside help and not going to God and saying, God, I know you can heal me. I know you can provide for me. Listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with medicine. I believe it. I take Tylenol when my head hurt. But ultimately, I know that God is the one who has provided the scientists to come up with the recipe so that I can take that medicine. Fear will make what's really in your heart show up. And I believe that the divisiveness that we've been seeing online has been our heart speaking. I see when we see individuals get angry at each other and malign each other and malign the political candidates and malign each other's parties and and just really attack one another and have nothing positive to say one another. It's fear revealing what's truly in our hearts. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of what that next party is going to do to the nation? Are you afraid of what that next political candidate might mean for you and your beliefs? Are you letting fear speak? Or are you leaning into what God has already spoken? Where's your heart? Verse 7, it says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but just Jesus only. It says, a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud that said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. A cloud. Many times in Scripture we see God manifest his presence as a cloud. When Moses led the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land where God was leading them, it says the fire guided them by night, but a cloud by day. When Moses went to talk to God upon the mountain, The children of Israel experienced Moses walking into a cloud. It said that it thundered and there was lightning and they felt the ground tremble and they saw this cloud just descend on the mountain and God's presence was in the cloud. When the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was built, it says the cloud of the presence of God descended on that place. And I don't know about you, but 2020 has felt like a cloud. 
2020 has felt as if a cloud has just come over the world. 2020 has felt like a cloud has been over our lives. Like 2020 has felt like a cloud. Could it be this cloud that we have seen over 2020 is actually the presence of God and he's got something to say and we've been too busy complaining about this person and that person, about this disease and that disease, about this pandemic and that pandemic and maybe, just maybe, this cloud that we are living in is the presence of God wanting to say something to us. Have we been listening? Maybe the cloud in your life, God has a message through. Maybe the cloud in your relationship, God has something that he wants to say to you. But so often we get distracted by the cloud. We miss the voice amidst the cloud. God said, this is my son, listen to him. Let me tell you, Jesus is the everlasting, ever-living, co-eternal son of God. Jesus was not created. The pre-incarnate Christ was not somebody or something that God created. He has always been, always is, and always will be. Jesus Christ is the King of kings, Lord of lords, above all earthly kings, above all heavenly angels. Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, he is God. Uh, Scripture tells us that the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. It says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is not just somebody who we're supposed to take frivolously. Jesus is not somebody who we attach to anyone else. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. God made flesh. We need to listen and hear him. Maybe that's what needs to happen. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Maybe we're too busy looking at everybody else and our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. Maybe we're too busy listening to the political pundits and not listening to Jesus. Maybe we're just so enthralled and caught up with the messaging from these political candidates that we're not listening to Jesus. Maybe that's why we get so angry at each other, why we hate on each other so much, why we're so broken and bruised, because maybe we've got too many people in view and have not fixed our eyes only on Jesus. Maybe it's time to turn off the TV for the next 72 hours. Maybe it's time to get off of Twitter for the next 72 hours. Get off of Facebook for the next 72 hours. Maybe it's time for us to get into God's word and look to Jesus and find out what he has to say about everything that we're going through in this moment. I'm going to leave you with a question. What place does Jesus take in your life? Are you living a life of duality of Jesus and? Are you living uh, with Jesus as a contributor and not the author and finisher of your life? 
Is Jesus really good to, to, to think about and pray about, but ultimately we're relying on our jobs? Are we looking at Jesus as a contributor to my relationship, but not the one who makes or breaks this relationship? Are you looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of everything that happens in this world? Are we looking at the political candidates to be our saviors? Are we looking at our nation to be the strongest and the one that protects us? Are we looking to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the protector of all? Can I tell you, if you want to see healing. If we want to see healing, we have to look at our only sure hope. See, these candidates, they will come and they will go, but Jesus Christ will still be sitting on his throne for eternity. What position does Jesus take in your life? Maybe You've been living in the duality. Maybe you're just so caught up with what's happening in the nation, what's caught up about what's happening in politics, that you forget that Jesus is above it all. And don't sit there and give me no excuse and say, well, Jesus would do this. Jesus, you wouldn't know what Jesus would do. I remember we used to wear these bracelets when we were younger. What would Jesus do? Can I tell you something? We don't really know. But if we follow Jesus, we can hear what he says and we can do what he says. Jesus has the autonomy to do what he chooses. And plenty of times when you look at scripture, Jesus didn't choose what everybody else chose. Jesus didn't take the position of the religious leaders. Jesus didn't take the positions of the individuals who were living lawlessly. Jesus was Jesus. And you know what he says? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Your job can make a way, but it's ultimately not going to make your life. Your relationships are going to provide a semblance of truth and love in your life, but they're ultimately not going to make your life. Our political candidates will make a way for us to uh, vote a certain way, but ultimately they will not make our lives. And if you're relying on anyone else but Jesus, you are living in the duality that's going to leave you broken and bruised. So today, I'm asking what position does Jesus take in your life? Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.